Thanks, guys. <laughs> My bad on that last that song. I don't, I don't know what happened there. I was considering, like, do I pause it and try to type the chorus while we're singing it? I, and I did have some pretty killer typing scores in my typing class, which permit, but I don't know. Um, just killer amounts. Killer. I don't remember. <laughs> you guys don't take, do you guys take typing classes anymore? Is that a thing? It's available. I know, I realized, so in Jerusalem when we moved to the iPad, you know, like kids were like typing their notes and everything on the iPad, but I realized that Typing is completely different from when I was in high school because when I was in high school, the only way you could type was on a normal keyboard. So you would sit there and you'd get the keyboard position and you'd K, 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 D, 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 K, D, K. And you'd just like go through this game. There's a computer program and you'd just go through that. And by the end of it, yeah, you could actually type pretty well. But now, I mean, most people type with their thumbs. So it's not like, you know, you don't, you just do the whole thing, you know, or you just, yeah, move on. So I have learned that a lot of people think that typing classes are obsolete now because kids basically grow up with a keyboard in their fingers and they know how to do that faster than they can even talk probably. It would have been nice to take it in like elementary school. Uh-huh. Like, so like, the... Yeah. And... So you get the one, the, the fi- one finger typing. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, we're going to jump into the book of Galatians. Um, I have a question to ask you, but first, let's go ahead and read Galatians chapter 1. So if you don't have a Bible, please grab one. There's a couple over there. We'll jump into it. Anybody need a Bible? Pass them around here. Pass one down. Pass another one down. All right. So Galatians chapter 1, here we go. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle, which means he's, he's a sent one, sent by God, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we were an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man? Or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We'll stop there. So here's what I want you guys to think about as we get going here at the start. 
How many of you have ever had to audition or try out for some sort of position, whether it's in sports team, music, um, choir? Good, okay. What sort of emotions do you feel when you're going through these auditions? What's it feel like? Yeah, Elise. Yeah, nervousness. What else? Anything else? Comp- some of us are like, I've got this, right? Confidence, okay. Sweaty. Sweaty? Uh-huh. Some scared. There's some pressure on you, right? Like pressure to perform. You know that if you blow it here, you know, you might not make the team, you might make the choir, whatever it is. Well, I distinctly remember a time when I was trying out for my high school soccer team. Um, so I played club soccer in the spring, high school soccer in the fall. And I remember there was a lot of pressure to perform, to do your best in that one week of tryouts. Um, I know that for myself, a lot of that pressure was self-imposed, that I had a high expectations, that I didn't want to... Um, you know, be embarrassed by which team I made or didn't make um, because a lot of my worth was caught up in soccer and which team I was on. And I remember that during this particular week of tryouts, um, I was struggling. I wasn't playing what I thought to the best of my ability. And I remember this time because I remember thinking to myself, what's wrong with me? Why am I playing so bad? Why am I not doing well? And my mind immediately went to a particular sin that I was wrestling with at that time and how I had been struggling with that sin even in the course of that week as I was going through tryouts. And I remember that I came to the conclusion that my performance, my poor ability in playing soccer, was completely related to this particular sin and that my poor play was because God was upset with me for sinning and, in a sense, was punishing me for the way that I had sinned the day before. Um, I believe that my performance in life determined whether God was pleased with me and then that his pleasure or displeasure determined how I did during soccer practice. And so my question for you is this. Um, so there, I just said that. I believe that my performance in life determined whether God was pleased with me then and his pleasure or displeasure determined how well I played in soccer. So my question is... First, is there anything wrong with this way of thinking? And if so, what is it? And second, is there anything in Galatians 1 that you could use as you would counsel me out of this mindset? So talk to the person sitting next to you for just a minute and think about an answer to those two questions. What do you guys think? Any thoughts? How would you how would you count, counsel young, beautiful, stupid Nick? I'm old and beautiful. Slightly smarter Nick now. Yes. Well, I mean, I, like I felt that too. Like if, like also like in sports, like if I play like really badly, 
Yeah. So you can definitely relate to it. So is that like a wrong way of thinking? I'm going to suggest that it probably is. And we'll get to that. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you can relate, because I mean, this has been a big theme in my life that I've been having to understand better, and Galatians is going to help us with that. Any thoughts, guys, on how... So do you guys recognize that this is a wrong way of thinking? Okay, so how would you counsel me back then? What would you say to someone who feels this way? Yeah. Well, in a way, it's kind of prideful because you're trying to like um, prove to yourself and the coaches that you invested this and that this is that like, you should make the team or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he's like verse ten. For I might not see the approval of man or God. So like in a way, you could change it to change your thinking to where you're like performing for God, like because He gave you this talent. Yeah. Yeah, in a sense, there's something wrong with the fact that I'm upset that my main concern is that I'm not playing soccer well, right? That's kind of the main thing, is I want to make the team. And so, you know, it's just, oh, I shouldn't have sinned because then I'd be playing better soccer, okay? So that's one way to think about it. Good. Any, th- any other thoughts that we have on this? Yeah, Sonia? Maybe you're, when you're not playing soccer, your mind is divided because you are struggling with this sin. You mm-hmm. have Okay, so sin can be a distraction, yes. but it might not be right to conclude that it's God's punishment. Okay, good. Any other thoughts? These are good. Other thoughts on why this might be wrong? All right, well, let's jump into Galatians and see kind of where this might help us with this sort of a mentality, okay? So we're going to talk about Galatian church, and I think I said this last time, I can't remember, maybe I said it in another context, but whenever Paul writes, he doesn't usually write to a church just to catch up with them, just to let them know, you know, how things are going, see how they're doing. There's usually some sort of problem, and that's why he's writing to them. He's writing to them to address a problem. So we need to understand what is the problem with the Galatians. So look in verse 6. I've got it on the screen here. Chapter 1, verse 6 gets to the heart of the problem really fast. And it says this I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So who's the him? Who are they deserting? At least. God, that's right. You're deserting God, the one who called you in the grace of Christ. So the big question here is, what is the different gospel that the Galatians are turning to and leaving the grace of Christ? Well, if you read the whole book, you get the picture really quickly of what this is, okay? And what it is, is that there were a group of people who had come into the Galatian church and we're teaching them something that was wrong. And this group of people were Jewish Christians, is what they would have called themselves, okay? So they're not like just strict Jews. They're actually Jewish Christians. And what they had done is they had come into the Galatian church, and they were teaching the Gentiles that they needed to not only believe the gospel, but they also needed to keep the Jewish laws, okay? Starting with circumcision and then all the way out through all the Jewish laws that were there. And so last week we talked about how the Jewish law contains 
613 laws, I think the number was. Um, we talked about how, you know, in the Old Testament, it talks about how you're cursed if you don't do all the laws. And so they're teaching them that the way to salvation is to have the gospel plus the law. That's how you need to get saved. Okay? And in a sense, they're claiming that your salvation is based on your performance. That the gospel helps to get you part of the way there, but you also have to do this, this, and this, and this in order to be saved. And the reality is that the Galatians are listening to them and leaving what Paul originally taught them. If you go back to the book of Acts, you can follow Paul as he walks through Galatia and the different things that he teaches them. And there's this part in Acts 13 where he has this big, long sermon to the Galatians. And in that sermon, he says, by Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So in this big sermon to the Galatians, he had taught them that Jesus frees us from all these things that the law cannot free us from. Right? So he had already laid the foundation for it, and we see that they're going back to this idea of, well, we still need to hold to the law. Well, the reality is we do the same thing. And I think that that's what I was doing in my soccer practice, okay? I did it as a soccer player, believing that my performance was determined or sorry, that my performance determined whether or not God was pleased with me. Okay, that my performance in areas of purity, sin, righteousness, determined whether or not God was going to be happy with me. And if I sinned, he wasn't going to be happy with me, and that was going to lead to him not letting me play soccer very well. Now, if we were in a room full of students at your school, okay, some of them might be Christian, some of them might be non-Christian, some of them might be kind of Christian, you know, nominal, they go to church sometimes. If I were in that room, what answers do you think I would get to this question? If I were to ask a room full of students at your school, what Christians have to do to go to heaven, what would they say? I'm going to write them on the board, okay? So what do you guys think? What sort of answers would we get if I asked a room full of Christians... What do Christians, or sorry, a room full of students at your school, what do Christians believe you have to do to get to heaven? That sort of thing you need to hear. Yeah. Um, read the Bible. Okay. <clears throat> Anyone else? What do you have to do? What else? Remember, your room has some Christians in it, so you can get real answers too. What, what do you guys think? How do we get to heaven as Christians? Okay. <coughs> Anything else? 
thing that you should not do? What should, what should you not do to get to heaven? Illegal things. Don't do illegal stuff. <laughs> Is there an either and either? Picture this. Someone walks in, all tatted up, got a loose shirt kind of hanging on them, big old earrings hanging down, big baggy jeans. Some churches, someone walks in like that, what happens? Like, oh, I shouldn't be in here, right? Okay, yeah? Sit on your side of the sanctuary. Ooh! Oh. people would say, but my question for you is, which one of these is correct? Which one of these do you have to do to go to heaven? Jesus plus 
any of these things, it's believe in Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that don't do those things. Because when we believe in Jesus, it has it works through our lives and it, and it should be evident in the way that we live. But you could say, like, read the Bible. Obviously, that's a good thing. But someone would say, read the Bible every day. Well, what if I miss a day? Am I damned? What if I miss a day? Be kind, be nice. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Bible says fruit of the Spirit, kindness, right? But what if I just lose it one day? Is that it? I blew it? Got no hope left? Okay, so Paul wants to remind them that the gospel is that you need to believe in Jesus. So the different gospel that they had turned to is a gospel that said you need to believe in Jesus plus obey the law. Plus obey the law. Now our problem, your problem, my problem, is that we may know this. We may be able to say, yeah, believe in Jesus. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. You believe in Jesus, that's the only way. But that's not really the way we live. That's not really the way that we live. Okay, we may believe it, but we judge people who call themselves Christians and don't do some of these other things, right? You say you're a Christian, why don't you come to the prayer group at the school? Why don't you go to church anywhere? You said, I thought you said you were a Christian. Or we judge ourselves when we don't do these things. I'm a horrible person. God's punishing me because I didn't do these things. Or, on the other side, we take pride in them when we do them and we become legalistic people. We assume that God must be very happy with us because we're much better than those other people in our church because we actually do all these things. In which case, we're lying to ourselves a little bit because none of us do these things all perfectly, right? So what does Scripture have to say about this? Well, in the very next verse, Paul says this. He says, you're turning away to a different gospel, and then he says, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So the point that Paul makes here is that the gospel plus anything gets you nothing. When we try to add anything to the gospel, the law, good works, any of these things on the board, we end up with nothing because this different gospel is not really a gospel at all. He can say that because the gospel, the word gospel means good news. Okay, And it's not good news if you're saved by believing in Jesus and keeping the law. That's actually really bad news because none of us can keep the law. So the problems that face the Galatians are the same problems that face us. And it's the problem that we believe our salvation depends in some part on what we do in our performance in life. Well, there's good news. Okay, so let's get to the good news. Paul began this letter by highlighting in the first verses what the gospel is. Now, this might just come across as Paul's greeting, but it's really compact and important explanation of the gospel. So Paul begins this letter by saying, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. In that verse, we have the entire gospel in a nutshell. He's telling the Galatians that grace and peace come from God and Jesus to the Galatians because Jesus gave himself. Okay, He gave his life unto death for our sins as our substitute in our place, taking the punishment that we deserved in order to do what? To deliver us from the present evil age. 
This word deliver can mean to rescue, to save us. And so Jesus didn't die just to give us a good example to follow. The gospel isn't just kind of a boost towards heaven, and then we need to work our way up the rest of the way up the ladder to get there on our own. Okay? The gospel gives us an all-expenses-paid, one-way ticket, we-do-nothing-he-does-everything pass into heaven. And so I thought of this illustration. Imagine you're in a burning building, you're on the 10th floor, you're in a room with a window there, and the fire is all over outside the room, and you're completely trapped. There's no way out except that window, okay? The gospel is not like a person who is down on the ground with a loudspeaker saying, take a chair, break the window. Okay, now that you broke the window, go get the table. Take the table and lay it outside the window to the, across the alley to the building on the other side. Walk across the table. Don't slip, don't fall. Okay, the gospel is not like someone saying, you know, let me kind of give you a leg up on how to get out of there, but really it's up to you. And if you make one false move, you're going to plummet to your death. Now, the gospel is that you are lying in that room completely unconscious, unaware, incapable of doing anything to help yourself. And Jesus repels down from the helicopter, which he obviously has, and smashes through the window, getting cut and bloodied all the way through the window. Then he takes your unresponsive body, gives you CPR, brings you back to life, ties you to the rope, sends you out the window just in time for the flames to engulf himself in your place while you are taken to safety and you had nothing to do with it on your own. So the gospel is the good news that God saves us by grace, having nothing to do with what we've done. And Satan loves to take this good news and he loves to twist it. He loves to tell Christians that surely they won't make it to heaven without following all of God's laws. He loves to fill us with guilt and hopelessness when we fail. He knows that if he can get us to believe that God's pleasure in us depends on our performance, but depends on our obedience, then he's won. Because he'll turn us into legalists who hold themselves to standards that we can't really meet. And when we do fail, he'll crush us with guilt and frustration and self-hatred and hopelessness and despair. And Satan knows that when we've become hopeless, it shows that we've lost the gospel completely. Because the gospel is hope for sinners who have no way to be saved but by God's grace. So we would believe, if we're hopeless, that God can no longer save us. And when we get to that point, Satan's won. He's shown us that um, he's taken the gospel away from us, that we don't really have the good news. But the truth is, God's pleasure in us is never based on our performance. The truth is that God's pleasure in us is never based on our performance. We need to hear that, don't we? Because that's not the way we live, is it? We live thinking that God's pleasure in us depends on our performance, but it doesn't. Rather, God's pleasure in us is only based on Jesus' performance for us. That's what we see in this gospel message, that he died in our place to rescue us. So when God looks at us, his pleasure comes not from our perfect obedience, but from Jesus's perfect obedience in our place, so that we might be saved from our sin and rescued 
And all we can do is receive it. All we can do is reach out and receive what Jesus has won for us. We can't earn it. And once we receive it, we can't lose it. Well, this past winter camp, uh, a number of guys uh, and myself, we took to playing a little Texas Hold'em, right? Playing some poker up there. And the stakes were not very high. We had different flavors of coffee creamer, which represented different amounts of currency in coffee creamer. What's that? (laughs) Okay. Oh, you, oh yeah, you did, Spencer was putting a few names on the table, it's currency, which is just completely wrong. So the stakes still weren't very high because nobody took them seriously. Um, Anyways, I do love coffee and I do like sweet coffee creamers. But still, the stakes weren't very high. Um, and the, one of the reasons that real gambling is not a very good idea is because the stakes can get very high. You can get addicted to it. You can quickly put in more than you should, maybe even more than you have. And oftentimes when you gamble, you don't realize that when you lose your money, you're losing far more than just your money. Oftentimes people lose their relationships. They lose their marriages. They lose their kids. They lose their future. They lose their jobs all because they can't stop themselves out of greed um, for more and more money. But when it comes to the gospel, the stakes are incredibly high. And that's what Paul wants to make clear to these Galatians. He wants them to understand that this reality that they have chosen to believe a different gospel is incredibly important. He says it this way, even if we, meaning himself and those with him, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so we, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This word accursed means eternally damned. Let him be eternally damned. And so what Paul is saying is this, the gospel plus anything leads to eternal damnation. So if I show up and I start saying to you something different than what I've said before, don't listen to me. If an angel of God shows up and starts saying that you can be saved by anything but grace, don't listen to him. Because the gospel plus anything else equals eternal damnation. This is incredibly important. If we don't get this right, Everything is on the line, not just for this life, but for the next life. We cannot be duped into thinking that we can add any of these good works to being saved. We must live a life that depends on the reality that Jesus alone and his grace is the way that we are saved. We have to realize that our performance in life does not determine God's pleasure for us, but rather that it's Jesus's performance on our behalf that gets us God's pleasure, and there is nothing we can do to lose it. So we're going to close today with a couple questions in your groups, okay? So you guys know what your groups are by now. But in the next uh, few minutes, I'm going to have you jump in your groups and answer these questions. How am I tempted to believe that my performance is what earns God's pleasure? How does it make you feel to know that God's pleasure in you is never based on your performance? How would your life look different if you genuinely believed that God's pleasure in you 
is never based on your performance. So go ahead, jump in your groups, and I will close us in about 10 minutes, and we'll be done. But jump in your groups and discuss these three questions, and leaders, just choose a group and jump in with them.